John the fourth chapter, verse 29 through 38. The Bible says, Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for the harvest. For he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I have sent to you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Father, thank you for your word today. And uh, as we get ready to get into this message that you've placed on my heart, Lord, rearrange our priorities, our schedules, anything that we need to rearrange to align ourselves with your kingdom purposes. Lord, because as my sister shared an exhortation during the worship, we are in the last of the last days. And Lord, the hour is short in front of us. And the scripture says that he that works must work while it's day because there's coming an hour when darkness comes and no man can work. So Lord, let us arise to our purpose and know that we've been born for such a time as this. And we give you the praise and honor for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Well, good morning, everybody. Did you have your coffee this morning? Hallelujah. Well, we're excited. Somebody said no. That's a sin. We got to repent for that. Amen. You got to have your coffee. It's somewhere in the Bible. I think it's in Hebrews, right? Come on, y'all. I'm corny this morning. Just work with me, all right? Praise God. But we're excited that you're here this morning. I hope you've had a great weekend so far. I hope for those of you who don't have to work tomorrow that you get a chance to rest a little bit and enjoy. For those of you who do, we know there are some people who just have to work various jobs and situations because you make the world go round. So I hope that you take an opportunity to be able to slow down and find a little bit of time to rest. This morning, I want to start a brand new series that I've entitled The Harvest. Everybody say The Harvest. Now, when we think about harvest in northwest Oklahoma, most of us think about the wheat harvest. And when you look around, most definitely you see farmland, especially when you get out into uh, the uh, rural areas. And uh, as, as my friends in Arkansas like to say, it's really flat because we have trees back home where I'm from and you can see trees everywhere you go. But here in the panhandle, you can see everything for miles and miles. As uh, one person told me after we moved here almost five years ago, he said uh, in northwest Oklahoma, uh, it's so flat when your dog runs away, you can still see him for two days. Amen. You know, when you get up on a hill, you know, that's probably true, right? But uh, we, we think about the harvest. We see about all of these wonderful things. And of course, you know, when you work in harvest, there's a lot of hard work that goes behind it. And so I wanted to, before we get into our text this morning, talk to you a little bit about this process. Now, I am not a green thumb person. In fact, I've, I've bailed hay before, and that's about as much as it gets. But I have studied the process because the Bible talks a lot about seed and soil, and Jesus talked about the harvest. And because he was a master illustrator, Jesus used his surroundings to paint the pictures so that you and I might understand it. And so Jesus talks a lot about the harvest that's in front of us. Now, I want you to know something, that before a person even thinks about having a harvest, there are several things that have to happen. The first one, are you ready for the first one? The first one is the ground has to be tilled. 
the ground has to be plowed. Now today, we've got all of this great equipment. Modern technology is amazing. You can hook up tractors and you can do all of these things. But this deemed to be a meticulous and hard task, much harder than it is today in the Bible days. Because much of what was done was done by ox or by plow and by hand. And so it was a brutal process. So what is plowing up the ground? Well, you may have a piece of ground that may be uh, great for a harvest. The soil might be great. But the, the issue is, is that planting any seed inside of that soil without first plowing the soil may find itself to be problematic. Why? Because deep beneath the surface of that soil, you find rocks, you find roots, you find other things that have been pushed beneath the surface. And besides that, also, oftentimes that ground is hard and it's compacted. The atmosphere for a seed to grow is not conducive in that type of soil. So what does a farmer have to do? They have to spend countless hours of plowing the field. Now, it, it doesn't seem like there's much reward in plowing the field, but the truth is without the plowing, there is no harvesting. Amen. At best, anything that, that sprouts up along the way in this type of condition will ultimately fall away. I want to give you a quick Bible lesson. Jesus talked about the parable of the seed and the sower. And in this parable, he talked about the various types of soils. And he addressed this. He's like there was a, a seed on thorny ground and rocky ground. And, and, and it sprung up for a short time and it fell away because it had no root in it. The reason why it had no root is because the ground was not plowed enough for that seed to take root in that soil and receive the nutrient that it needed. So if you're going to plant a harvest and reap a harvest, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to plow the soil. Everybody say plow the soil. Ultimately important. But number two, here's, here's another important thing. In order to have a, sar uh, a harvest after you till the ground, number two, you have to plant the seed. Oh, come on now. You have to plant the seed. Let me tell you, it would be ludicrous for a farmer to go out and plow the ground and then sit on his front porch with a cup of coffee, his feet kicked up, watching the sunrise, expecting something to pop up in its place. No, because the plowing and the tilling is not the end all of the thing. It's just the preparation process. After that preparation process, then that farmer has to get the seed that is the right seed for that soil, and he has to go and begin to plant in rows. And, and back in Bible days, again, that was by hand, and, and sometimes they would scatter the seed. Other times, there are times where you strategically plant the seed one by one into rows so that something may produce. Now, this is a, a, an awesome thing because it is this process which starts the harvest. Let me just give you a little side note, a little nugget that's not in my notes this morning. If you want to grow it, you must sow it. Hallelujah. I don't care what it is. Let the Lord speak to you. If you want to grow it, you first have to sow it. You cannot have a harvest with a pocket full of seeds. 
whether or not we're talking about evangelism for souls or offering or whatever that is, if you want to grow a harvest, you've got to plant a harvest. And so you've got to make sure that seed gets into the ground. So that seed is in that freshly turned over soil. And then now that topsoil is put back over it. And, and, and you know, everything is, is in this process. And this is the place where we start to get anxious. Because we know now harvest time is coming. But there's a little piece of the puzzle that fits right here that all of us have to take into consideration. There's a season of waiting. Everybody say patience. You see, you plant a seed and you don't go every morning and dig up the seed to see if the seed is doing anything. Because if you do that, what's going to happen is, is you're going to destroy the process. You've got to trust the process. Once the seed has gone into the ground, once the ground has been tilled and that, that soil has been made ready, once the implantation happens, that at that moment you have to trust the process. You've got to know that even though I can't see it working, it's working. Even though the, nothing on the surface gives me evidence to what is going on beneath the surface, I have to trust the process. Because underneath the soil of the earth, something is happening. Now the issue is, most of us don't like patience. We don't like to wait. We live in a microwave generation. We want it our way. We want to uh, just be able to run through the drive through and even the drive throughs aren't fast enough. Amen? It's just, we want it now. That we, we went from dial-up. Anybody remember dial-up internet? I remember the days where there was no internet. Thank God Al Gore figured, figured it out and invented it. Amen? But I remember the day, where y'all at? That was a joke. Come on, you can laugh. I remember the day Al Gore invented the internet in the 90s. We had AOL, got the little CD in the mail. You had to plug it in, install the driver, plug your phone in, and it had to call all the way to China and send messengers via uh, uh, data bytes and have to bring all the information back. Anybody remember the days of dial-up internet? Hallelujah. Well, then, then DSL was the thing. Then we just kept moving up, moving up, moving up. Now we've got fiber coming, and we've got all of these other things, and now we've got satellites in the sky giving Internet signals. I mean, it's crazy. But we're never satisfied with the process. So get this. The Scripture says in the Old Testament, as long as summer, as long as winter and spring and fall, Remain on the earth. So will seed time and harvest remain. Somebody say seed. Somebody say time. Somebody say harvest. See, we don't like the middle part, but it's as much as a part of the process as the other part. And then finally, when the season comes, and those sprouts begin to grow, maturity begins to happen, and those stalks begin to shoot to the sky when they show the signs of their ripeness. Then there's time for celebration because the harvest has come. The harvest is a time of celebration. We rejoice at the harvest. It's a time where we look and we see the fruit of our labor. But anybody will tell you, 
who's ever actually worked in a harvest? Come on, can I see some harvester people's hands this morning? You ever worked in a harvest? Come on, raise them up. You know, you can get excited about the harvest, but the harvest is not the time for you to be lazy. It is actually the time where you get up the earliest and you go to bed the latest. Why? Because you have to go out and reap the harvest. It is a time to celebrate, but it is not a time to put your feet up on the counter and just thank God for what has happened. Yes, thank God for what has happened, but there is time for the person who has planted the seed to go and get their boots and get their shovels and get their equipments and go and reap the harvest that they have sown for. Church, I ain't here this morning just to talk to you about farmland. I'm here to tell you a biblical principle. We're living in the day and the hour where the harvest time is here. We have been preaching the gospel. We have been sowing seed to the nations. We have been doing all of those things. And the Bible says that in the last of the last days, whenever Jesus comes back, he said the angel will thrust the sickle into the earth and gather up the harvest. And I'm here to tell you today that it's harvest time. I want to talk to you from John the fourth chapter. John the fourth chapter. I have preached the first part of this chapter several, several times. And I will come on to the tail end. John chapter 4 is a very familiar story. It's a very familiar passage. But for the sake of you who are new to the faith or new to church and you don't know all the stories, let me elaborate the Bible says that the Son of Man, Christ, came to seek and to save that which was lost. That a holy God created man and that mankind in the very beginning separated themselves by God, from God by transgressing the law. And at that point, then man needed to be redeemed. So God did the unthinkable. He sent His Son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. But while Jesus was on this earth, he showed the disciples what it meant to reach people. The value of a soul, the value of, of reaching the lost. He makes all types of illustration. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. We see over and over again that Jesus is making these statements about the lost sheep of Israel. And, and I have sheep of, this, of another fold that you don't even know about. Jesus over and over again makes these, these daunting statements about reaching the lost. And then in John chapter 4. As he was led by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Now, if you've been studying with us a little bit in the book of Acts on Wednesday nights, you understand some of the prejudicial things that the early disciples were having to walk through. Some of, it, some of that was not their fault. It was just the culture they were raised in. It's how they were born. But one of the things about Jewish people was the unfriendliness towards the Samaritans. And so what Jesus did as he was getting ready to make a detour into Samaria, he strategically sent his disciples to town to pick up a few sandwiches. Because they had worked and they had, they had labored and it was time for them to get something to eat. And so now the disciples have left the way and here it is, Jesus and this woman at this well. History tells us several things that a 
woman would not have particularly been at a well at this time of day by herself. Quite possible she was there trying to be alone, trying to get some private time. Historically, and we're also going to see later in the story that this woman was a well-known woman for her reputation. She had been like the old uh, uh, country song, looking for love in all of the wrong places. And she had been with man after man after man. And, and now she, after going through five different people, and, and now the one that she's living with is not her husband. Jesus is engaging with her in dialogue about living water. They're at a well, Jacob's well, historic place where the Jews would have worshipped. And they get into a conversation about, about religion and ancestry, and our ancestors worship here, and, and Jesus makes a statement. He says, you, what you worship, you don't even know what you're talking about. He says, there's coming a day when those who worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and basically, Jesus begins to whittle away the layers like the layers of an onion, peeling away the, the hardness of this lady. She says, you're a Jew. I perceive you're a prophet. And, and she goes through all of these things. And finally, Jesus says, I am He. And this woman has a radical encounter with Jesus. A Samaritan whom in their day was considered a half-breed, somebody who in society was not worthy of the Jewish elite's uh, attention. A woman in those days, women were looked at much different in society than they are today. And, and they, they knew their place, quote-unquote. And so Jesus would not have been following custom of the day by dialoguing with her. But there was something about this woman that the Holy Spirit led Jesus to Samaria to be able to reach her and redeem her. Now, interesting enough, this lady leaves the presence of Jesus and goes into her little town, her little village, and she begins to tell everybody about this man named Jesus whom she's encountered. It's glorious. We're going to pick back up there in a moment, but, but let's pick up now where we read this morning. Scene changes. Curtain rises. We're in act number two right now. Now, all of a sudden, the disciples come back from the, uh, the local market, and here they come with their sandwiches. They come with their juice. They come with their, their pouches, and, and they're like, all right, Jesus, let's do this. We're going to just lay out a place right here on the ground, and we're just going to have us a picnic. I love what the disciples responded they said rabbi eat we've made a spread in front of you in this what you wanted you sent us away so that we could get some groceries i love what jesus said he said i have food to eat of which you do not know now i want you to take into consideration some carnal disciples jesus you mean now, you got to understand, there was no Uber. There was no Lyft. There was no Woodward Taxi. Come on, somebody. There was nothing. They had to walk. In fact, me and, me and my friends, we, you know those, those big sandals that have the, the one thong in the middle? We call those Jerusalem cruisers. Hallelujah. They had to walk with them 
Muslim cruisers, wherever they went in the hot, dusty sand, in the arid desert area. And, and can you imagine Jesus just sent them on some exercise? And here they come back, and what happens? They said, uh, Jesus, here we go. And he goes, I got food that you don't, you don't even know about. And the disciples spoke up and they said, Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, has somebody else brought you some food? Because we're supposed to be your armor bearers. We're supposed to be the one walking with you. We're, the, we're supposed to be the one supplying your needs and making sure you got everything together. And then look at what Jesus said. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, I want to stop right there for just a moment. And if you're taking notes, I want you to just kind of go with me here for a moment. If you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. Number one, we see the passion. We see his passion for the harvest. We see Jesus' passion for the harvest. I don't, I don't know about you. Many of you may not know my story, but there was a time in my life where I was extremely overweight. I lost a lot. I've gained a little bit, a little bit back. Not, not all of it, but I'm at a place where I like to be. But it's evident by my previous size that I like food. In fact, I was the type of person where I didn't just eat seconds, I ate thirds. May have been some gluttony involved. The Lord has helped me with it. Amen. So let me just tell you, all of us, by innate nature, by humanity, the, the, the DNA, the genetics of Adam passed down through bloodlines and generations, uh, the human body who God has designed and created. It's, it's designed us to, to thirst for water. It's designed us to crave sleep and rest. It's designed us to want food and all of these other natural carnal things. And isn't it truthful? Come on, let's just be honest. Isn't it truthful that at least in Western culture, we can't speak for the rest of the world, but at least in Western culture, so much of what we do is driven by our appetite. I'm just going to confess. Confession is good for the soul. Can we do that? All right, let's confess. I'm going to confess my faults. I don't know about you. The last place we were able to get away for on vacation, one of the first things I did before I said, yeah, I said, what they got to eat over there? <laughs> now, part of that is because I'm trying to have healthier choices. But the other part is we want to make sure that we're taken care of. There, there are those of you that are in this room this morning. In the next six and a half minutes, you will have checked out because your proverbial dinner bell on the inside of you will say, it's time for lunch. Amen. Every hungry child who cries or screams at hunger pains understands that the, the nature and the desire to be filled with food is what drives us. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus, we see his passion for the harvest, and here's what Jesus referred to. He referred to the mission of reaching lost souls as satisfying to him as eating his daily bread. It was what drived him. It was what drove him every single morning when he woke up. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. His whole mission was to replicate disciples so that saved people could save other people and those saved people could raise up other people who saved people. And we see in the book of Acts a multiplication of people who are saved because of other people's passion. For the harvest. 
In essence, Jesus was telling us that reaching the lost was his purpose for existing. It drove him. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you driven to reach the lost? Are you driven to reach the lost? You say, oh, pastor, I don't really think that's my calling. <clears throat> Wrong answer. We're all called to partake in the harvest. Yes, some plant, some water. God gives the increase. But that doesn't mean you never plant. It doesn't mean you only water at different seasons of life. But God wants us all to participate in the harvest. Our passion has to be to reach those who have never been reached before. And Jesus found himself sending his disciples away because he did not want their preconceived notions or ideas on who was or who wasn't worthy to receive the message of grace, to, to bog him down. And so Jesus strategically implants himself at a situation to where he can speak the truth in love to this woman. He basically says, you have been looking for satisfaction in all of these relationships. But now, let me tell you, if you drink of what I have to give to you. You will never thirst again and you will drink of the living water. And she tasted and saw that day that Jesus could change her life. Jesus was driven to reach the lost. Peter was driven to reach the lost. Paul was driven to preach the lost. Timothy, a young pastor, was told by Paul, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy, as a pastor, was driven to reach the lost. The question is, my friend, are we driven to reach the lost? Here's the second thing. Not only do we see his passion for the harvest, but number two, we see his priority for the harvest. See his priority for the harvest. Look back at our text with me, John chapter 4. Look at this. Verse 35, Jesus said, Do you not say, one translation says, Do you not have a saying? There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. Now I want to stop right there. Jesus shows us here his priority for the harvest. Let me give you a, a paraphrase of what Jesus was saying right here. He was saying to his disciples, don't say we still have time. Don't say we still have time. He said, look at the fields. They're white. You know, when the harvest is white, it's almost at the point of being lost. And a harvest can be wasted if it's not harvested in time. When Jesus was saying, look at these fields all around us. They're already white unto harvest. You know, Jesus was telling the disciples, look at this Samaritan woman. Look at these lost people around. One particular gospel writer wrote another aspect of Jesus. And he, the Bible said that when he looked at them with, uh, with compassion, because they were like sheep scattered without a shepherd. And Jesus said, pray therefore unto the Lord of the harvest, because the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers indeed are few. I want you to know something this morning. We've got to have the priority for the harvest. We don't have any more time to sit around and say, we still have time. I want you to know something. Harvest time is right now. The time is right now. Come on, I want everybody to say it's right now. 
Listen, folks, no fisherman sits in a boat and waits for fish to jump in the side of it. That is asinine. Nobody would ever do that. But a fisherman who is serious about reaching fish gets either a hook or a net, and he strategically goes to where the fish are. Amen. He goes to the lake. He goes to the pond. He goes to the creek. And, and listen, he goes and he does that in hopes of catching something. And I want to submit to you this morning that the church service Although it is great, the church service, although we give altar calls for the lost, the church service, even though it's great, we explain things as if somebody had never heard it before. The church service is not the primary place to reach the harvest. Are you with me? Can I tell you why this morning, First Assembly? The reason why this morning is because the average person without divine revelation from God or a prompting of the Holy Spirit, will not just walk in to our churches. This morning, consider empty seats, empty pews, empty rows. Consider your neighbors. Consider those who have never heard a, not, not never heard the name of Jesus. I'm not going to say that. In, in, and maybe it's true, but in a county and in a state where churches are on every corner, let me say it like this, who've never heard an adequate message of the gospel. Let me just say it like this. In 2021, just in Woodward County, we had 66 arrests for drugs. 111 arrests for alcohol-related crimes. In 2020, the most recent statistic I could find, I had somebody to help me with these. In, In 2020, suicide was among the top nine leading causes of death for people ages 10 to 64. It was the second leading cause of death for people of ages, listen to this, 10 to 14. 10 to 14. All the while, we sit in our church and we sing our songs and we need to do that. The scripture commands us to come together and to worship and exhort and to pray. But my friend, let me just tell you something this morning. The great commission of Jesus Christ compels us to go into all the world and preach the gospel in serve Saturdays, in our day-to-day lives, in our schooling and in our doing and in our daily going. You and I are called to share our faith. With the world that is around us because, listen friend, there's a lost and dying world out there. Every single second of every single day, at the snap of a finger, people are exiting this world into eternity. And people show up at their funerals and they say, well, I wish I would have said something. I wish I would have intervened. I wish I would have just been bold enough. Friend, let me tell you, when somebody dies, it's too late to share your faith with them. It is a personal faith, but it is not a private faith. Our faith must be shared. Jesus said the priority of his life was to reach the harvest. As a church, our priority has to be to reach the harvest. Then we disciple them, and then we send them into the harvest. It has to be a reciprocity. It has to be catch and release. Catch and release. Catch and release. We have to do that. If not, we fail to do the very works that Jesus called us to do. People say, where are all the miracles? Where are all the signs? 
Well, if you read the scripture, they happened as they went, not as they sat. In the marketplace, on the wayside, beside the lake, beside the river, in the synagogue, different places. But Jesus told them to go. And let me tell you, like the disciples looked upon the woman at Samaria, and culture looked upon the woman at Samaria, she didn't seem to be to do enough. It is not us who qualifies who is good enough to receive the gospel. Jesus died so that all men could have the opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, friends, if we let them pass into eternity without giving them an opportunity, shame on us. Are y'all still with me? Now let's, let's, let's pull this in for a second. Some of your internal alarm for food is going off. Just hit the snooze button for like five to ten more minutes, I promise you. Number three, we see his payment for the harvest. See, I, I want you to know something today. There are wages for working in the harvest field. There are wages for working in the harvest field. Notice what he said in verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for what? Eternal life. He gathers fruit for eternal life. For that he who sows, he who plants the seed, and he who reaps, listen, they rejoice what? Together. They rejoice together. You can put that verse on the screen. I want them to see that today. They rejoice together. For in this saying, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. And then notice what Jesus said in verse 38. I have sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Jesus is referring to the ministry of John. He's referring to the ministry of the early disciples who preached and Jesus who preached and they prepared the way. Guess what happened? They plowed the ground. You know, when John was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold, there comes one who's coming after me, whose shoes I'm unworthy to loose. He will baptize you. The Holy Spirit and fire, what he was doing was plowing the ground. He was pulling up the rocks. He was pulling up the roots, making way for the Messiah to come and bring salvation. When Jesus turned his disciples loose, he said, wherever you go, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Freely you receive, freely you give. What are they doing? They are preaching. They are planting seed. But Jesus is telling the disciples, I want you to see the payment for the harvest. Because I am sending you to reap in a place where you didn't sow. Because listen, we always stand on the shoulders of those who came behind us. There are stories of missionaries who preached to places where there were cannibals and they ran for their lives and they hid and they had no converts. And they sowed and they sowed and they were faithful. And then the next person comes along and here comes a mighty harvest. 
This is what Jesus meant when he said the sower and the reaper rejoice together. Because they have part in the harvest. But, but I want you to look at this. This is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. Verse 36. And he who, re- who reaps receives wages. And he gathers fruit for eternal life. I'm about to close this morning. But I want to give you some thought. The Apostle Paul said these words. Writing to the church at Corinth. He said, for we shall all, somebody say all. That means everybody. It means you, it means you, it means you. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds which have been done in our body. Now, listen, I want to be very clear. This is not the judgment where people go to hell or or whatever. That's the believer's judgment. There are two judgments. There's a judgment of the wicked and the judgment of the righteous. The, the, The wicked dead, they're judged on one sole factor. Was their name written in the book of life? If their name was not written, their passport is stamped denied, they do not get to enter into glory. But for those who are saved, listen... The Bible says what we do in life, it's like works. Now, we don't, we don't do good works to be saved, but in our doing of good works, the Bible says we are reaping rewards for eternity. There are different crowns the Scripture talks about receiving. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it says all of our works are going to be tried by fire. Fire is the greatest of purifiers. And if what you did was of precious stone, precious jewel, precious metal, it'll pass right through the fire. But if what you did was just temporal and what you just did was with the wrong attitude and and what you did was just to make a show on the earth, to get a pat on the back, to be open, to, 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 to receive the reward down here. The Bible says all of that stuff, it's like wood, hay, and stubble. Being in northwest Oklahoma, you know when a wildfire comes through or a house burns and the wind catches it, there's not a whole lot left after that. When we get to heaven, what we have done for Christ is going to be standing out there before us in the Messiah at the judgment seat. And how many of you would love for Jesus to be sharing with you about your life. And hey, don't you remember back in 1968, I called you to be a pastor and and I wanted you to step out in faith and and to plant a church, but you, you were too scared of your finances. You didn't trust that I would take care of you. Now you're saved. You're coming to heaven, but you've lost that reward. And the fire of God blows it all away you say I don't think it's going to be like that it absolutely is you know I believe the scripture says the reason why he wipes away every tear from our eye because we're going to cry a few before we go in when we realize what we could have had but we didn't because we chose not to walk in faith walk in love and walk in obedience let me tell you what the scripture says and I'm closing with this close your bible That that means you're safe. Amen. 
when you win a soul to Christ, okay, when you win somebody to Christ, you receive a crown that one day you'll get to place at the feet of our Savior. Anybody ever heard the uh, contemporary Christian group Casting Crowns? It's where the name comes from. Because at judgment, we're going to be able to cast our crowns at His feet. You say, where's that found? That's found in the book of Revelation when we're around the throne of God. We're going to cast our crowns at His feet. When we've taught the Word of God, when we've made a disciple, when we've baptized a believer, when we've, when we've been obedient to God, listen, He's given us rewards. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before God empty-handed. Empty-handed for all of the life He's entrusted me with, all of the breath, all of the creativity. I don't want to have spent my whole existence on earth just fulfilling my flesh, fulfilling my wants and my dreams and my desires and not have anything of eternal significance. That's why Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures that are in heaven, not on the earth where moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal. Almost every day on, on Facebook, on one of our community groups, I'm hearing about thieves breaking into a garage, thieves stealing something out of the yard. Listen, what you do for God can't be stolen. A thief can't take it. It's stored up in a safe place in heaven. And one day, friend, and one day it's coming sooner than you think. There's some people in this room. It may be this week. Because the Bible says no one knows the day nor the hour. We're going to stand before God. And if you've sown into the harvest, you're going to have a crown. Even of the most simplest of things. Giving into a missions offering. That mission leaves our church account. It goes to Springfield. It leaves Springfield. It goes to Indonesia. The missionary in Indonesia goes to a, a, a little tribal village and wins 50 people to Christ. You know what the Lord does? Credits that to your account. And when you get to heaven, when you're standing before the throne of God on judgment, the Lord says, because of what you did, here's what happened. Now, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. When we receive our crown, we cast it at His feet. I want everybody to stand up with me in this room. I want to close with a very powerful, it's an old quote, a very powerful quote today. Here's what it says. You ready? The apex of all Christian endeavor is to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior so that the Lamb that was slain may receive the reward of His suffering. I want to read it one more time. The apex of all Christian endeavor is to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior so that the Lamb that was slain may receive the reward of of his suffering. Friends, this is what it's all about is reaching people for Christ. We sang about this all morning. This was a divine setup. Holy Spirit, come rest on us, not so I can speak in tongues more. 
Holy Spirit, come rest on us. Not so I can have prophetic revelation. Holy Spirit, rest on us so I can get goosebumps in the blessing. No, all of that stuff is byproduct. But the, the, the main thing is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be able to reach your world for Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed.